this is the uh, the data driven CMO pain and progress uh, podcast where we're discussing the pains of working with big data and the resultant progress that the data driven CMO encounters today. And I'm joined by Julie Carey, CMO of La Quinta Inns and Suites, um, who's had more of t- more than 10 years work there at La Quinta. And Julie has developed a strong reputation as both a traditional and digital marketer. So. Welcome, Julie, and thank you for uh, joining uh, the program. Thanks for having me. Great. Wonderful. So, Julie, you and I had talked uh, prior, um, and you know, we were zeroing in on a couple of the things that uh, really are uh, lasting uh, uh, pains with regard to, to data for the chief marketing officer. Uh, one of those I think we featured was um, that not only is there potentially an overwhelm of data that but that it is trapped in in silos and company silos but before i ask any deeper questions on that is that a pain that you'd agree with and is is there something more you can describe to to what that pain truly is well i think it's not only trapped in different parts of the company but for us it was uh trapped with vendors and we had data in our loyalty vendor we had data at our uh, e-commerce uh, tech stack, and um, we had it with our guest experience uh, vendor. So it can not only be trapped within your own company, but also with your vendors. As, as we've been a you know company that's outsourced a lot of things, and getting that data that was quote unquote all over the place, I like to say, in, into one place is is the first big challenge to be able to truly look at experiences of your customer all across different touch points as well as connecting it to, you know, for in our case, the property, property level, uh, profits, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, it, let's get deeper into that word silo. What, what is, so the data is physically dispersed. Um, one would think it's easy enough to bring it together uh, in various databases simply asking for the data. When you get right into the nitty-gritty of it, why is the simple separation of data an issue? Is that truly a technological barrier, a compatibility, uh, cultural and information hoarding uh, component? What, what would you say are the, the, the features there? And not just what are the pains, but what's your recommendation for solving some of those uh, those barriers? For us, I never really felt like it was, you know, people hoarding data or not mm-hmm. wanting to share it. I think for us, it's really been the technical challenge and the resource challenge to be able to put disparate data together in a way that is easy to manipulate, to put the right tools on top of it, mm-hmm. and to be able to make sense of it. So as an example, we have stuff on a customer level, we have stuff on a hotel level, and lots of different angles that, in order to connect those dots, they don't connect super easily. And um, you really have to have the right structure, the right tools to be able to do that. And we're doing some investments right now to be able to connect this data in a better way um, across our different uh, data sources um, and investing in a data lake that can better handle more instructor data. We see that happening more with customer reviews. There's a lot of comments and open ends that we want to leverage, but we have to be able to do that in a way that can tie it you know, more to uh, other data that is in the system to drive more insights. So um, I think it's a lot of different challenges, but really for us, not about people not wanting to share data. It was really the way in which we can put it together and be able to analyze it and manipulate it to drive insights. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it sounds like uh, a mere broad vision for amassing all this data and the fact that, you know, one day uh, it will cause you to interpret um, what your customers' wants and needs are, anticipate those better than they can themselves, is not enough. You, that that software, that tool, that whatever amasses it together um, has to visually show uh, the stakeholders how this how this is going to occur before they're willing to invest the time, the money, the resources to say, you know what, you're right, I want to pull in uh, data from this broad field, that broad field, that broad field. Is that right? Well, for us, you know, it was really about first getting our data all in one place and being able to use it to drive insights, which we're in progress of doing that right now, mm-hmm. which has been no small undertaking. Um, but we used our past results and our past insights to demonstrate the value that that data provides and then really show what was going on in this technology disruption that we're seeing in the world, but we're also seeing in travel and hospitality and the need to be able to deliver on customer wants and needs meant that we had to really have our data in a place that we could leverage it. And we showed what those use cases could be. And, you know, some of them were were pretty dream use cases, if you will, um, and pretty far down the road, but really trying to show the value of the future of the data that we had, but really showing how the investment in the past and the past use of data drove value and, um, you know, kind of leveraging the past for the future that may or may not happen. But that's really how we've had to do it to be able to get the the company willing to invest in And so there you are leading the charge. That's different than what the traditional duties of a chief marketing officer have been, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, one example would be everybody knows we need an advertising campaign to get individuals to be aware of our brand, what it stands for, what its promises, and the experience that they'll gain coming to your properties. But people well know what an advertising campaign looks and feels like. And so you rallying the troops to say, we need to do one of these maybe not as challenging. But here now, other end of the spectrum, hey, we've got this data. We do have some use cases to say that when we look at this data right, it tells us some things that help us anticipate our customer needs in a way that makes their experience better, ourselves more profitable. But it's still somewhat nebulous in terms of the advantage or the emotion to get people to do something like that. How does a chief marketing officer lead that charge as different from leading the the traditional charges? Well, I think you have to get people fired up with a vision of what things could be and really show that and make it come to life with personas and people and use cases and and really showing those use cases in more real-life forms Mm. um, to get people to see your vision and get excited about it. And then the partnership with the IT group is super important, and I feel that we have a very strong partnership uh, with our IT group. Our CIO and myself are definitely good, good business partners and really get him him to be part of that vision, getting him excited about it, him bringing new ideas and being part of our ideations was critical um, to also helping him get the organization excited about things. So um, I think those partnerships have to be first because if they're not, if IT isn't excited about it, no one else is going to be excited about it because they're going to be there with you every step of the way. At least they are here at La Quinta. 
So um, to summarize that again, I'd say great partnerships with IT and then making those ideas come to life in ways that people can really see as tangible mm, things that they can good. envision for again, the Again, in traditional, you'll show mock-ups of the campaign. These case studies, were they highly visual? Did you take people physically through the data? Was there anything that you can point out to as a specific solution to get people to emote to the need to, to do this? For us, we used um, a typical ideation process with the foundation of it coming from the data. And I'll give you one example of that that we did several years ago when we launched Instant Hold. So our data told us that a lot of our mobile customers on our mobile web were booking a room within four hours of arriving at the hotel. Right. And booking on a mobile phone back then, so this is 2010, don't quote me on that, mm-hmm. um, was really difficult, as you can imagine. And booking a hotel room with your name, address, phone number, your 16-digit credit card, incredibly cumbersome, right? Right. Not a lot of people would want to do it. So that data informed an ideation where we came up with the idea of instant hold, where you can hold a room for up to four hours using only your phone number. So that was an example where we used data to come up with an idea and ideation. We brought that concept to the organization, and and we pursued uh, development of it. Um, Another idea that was similar to that was ready for you. So one of the customer insights we had, not necessarily data, but the notion of people, you know, they want to be assured that their room is ready when they get there, right, or when they want to be there and when they want it to be ready. So we launched a feature that comes from booking, whether it's mobile or desktop. You pick when you want to arrive. If we have a room available, we send you a text and let you know your room is ready. So, again, showing that that customer need with the idea is really what helped bring it to life. So when you talk about an ideation session, it's a brainstorming group. So I guess there's elements of getting people to buy in because it's partly their idea, bringing in the customer need, perhaps is voiced by the field, having the data on site to see here's what we're seeing now, here's what needs to be different, and then saying what would be different and everybody coming to that collaborated vision together. Is that like at least four of the elements that are in those ideation sessions? Yes, I think the type of people you bring to an ideation is super, super critical. Oh, that's a great you point. You have to bring to creative people, that. but mm-hmm. you also want people to buy into it and be part of their ideas, but yet be able to be a good participant. So we've had a cross-functional group of people uh, that meet that criteria, and we've actually brought in real customers and had those customers come up with ideas in these ideation sessions alongside with us, and that was really, really productive as well. And then the stimulus and the ways in which you go about that ideation is a whole bunch of different creative ways, but also data-informed ways as well. Um, and that, that really helps, you know, bring out a different set of ideas than might just be from a traditional oh, uh, creative Now, process. what about the mandate to make the investment? In some cases, maybe in your own, you have full mandate to whatever that is the product of that ideation session. If you and the collective group feel it's a good idea, you go for it and you can make that investment, time, money, resources, focus, opportunity costs, everything in there. In other words, organizations, your peers may be subject to the review with the CIO, maybe simply a recommendation up to the CEO before an investment will be made, a technology committee. Do you have experiences with those types of constituents and what's your recommendation in terms of how and when to get them involved to say, hey, look, I know this is a good idea, but I need the cooperation of others to make this investment? 
The development of the business case around it is super important, and I think that's where you have to involve others. You have to involve the finance group to help you develop it. Unless there's a regular platform or way in which you know a committee wants you to put it together, right? If there's not a strict process or way, you kind of have to put it together yourself, which really is important to articulate the business needs and if you've got a customer practice or whatever consumer practice, the customer need, and then how you tie that to some sort of you know, P&L, right? Um, in, in many cases, if it's conversion on a website, how much does conversion have to move to pay for this and how are we going to measure it? How are we going to put it together? Some things are very measurable like that and other things just aren't. And part of it is looking at, you know, a competitive advantage or disadvantage if you don't do these things. And those are much harder sales, but strategic people that are very close to the business, sometimes those, they get it and you're, you're good to go. It really just depends on what you're trying to do and the particular state or need that you're, you know, trying to solve with your company. Um, because I've been in many situations where it's like, trust me, <laughs> and right. others where it's like, no, we can directly measure this, and this is how we're going to do it, and this is the amount of increase we need, and, and this is the ROI. So it's everything from trust me to here's right, the hard right. core you know, ROI. You're segueing quite nicely into the other area that we had um agreed on was one of the key pains, which is gaining trust in the ROI of any big data uh, investments. And you mentioned business case. I just have a quick tactical question on that. Does that include a pro forma? So a financial statement, uh, we make a calculation of net present value, we make an investment here and we expect these cash flows there, or is it really not able to be as precise as that? It's more conceptually, we believe in serving the customer better, and we know the customer is going to reward that value back to us eventually. Yeah, so I've had, again, the spectrum of all of that. So, you know, marketing mixed modeling is a pretty easy one. You, you know what the amount of that's going to be, and then you know how much additional revenue you need to drive by the use of that tool or cost you need to shift and cheaper media because of, you know, strategic decisions, et cetera, that can drive it. So something like that is an easy calculation. Uh, things that are around data that informs our loyalty program or our web, again, that's an easy one to show with revenue and how that one works. Um, in my past lives, uh, more on the innovation side, actually, I've had to do really complete pro formas um, because they were they involved things like plants and putting in new lines and things like that that were really pretty intensive. So I've had kind of the spectrum of things, but from stuff that really wasn't measurable at all, right, that was tough to sell and it was what we know we need to do to take care of our guests. So responding to reviews, as an example, there was some, at the time, some data around the return on that, but we did some tests, and for a long time, we couldn't really prove an ROI, but it changed, and we knew we had to get the technology on board to be able to respond to our guests, and now we can see clearly what those ROIs look like, but at the time, it was just, wow, this seems like the right thing to do for the brand, and that was a longer sell and harder to get people on board. What about the ROI standard for big data? You know, I think we can both recount... where the reputation of applying data to anticipate or predict customer behavior and how that would loop back to better experience and then greater profitability for the firm has been, that equation has been played out for probably about seven, eight years now. I think out of the gates with all the, the press around that, there's been high expectations. I think in somewhere in its uh, sophomore years, it's it's been overdone. Where would you say today the bar of ROI proof is for big Big data, is it higher or lower and as compared to sort of your traditional investments as a, as a, a marketing leader? 
think it's hard to generalize in this case because I think it depends on the past history you've had at, at, at companies using it and seeing ROIs. But I do think the West is getting a little wilder, if you will. Mm. And I think it's going to be harder to prove some of that as we go forward with technology like you know artificial intelligence, right? We're, we as marketers are still trying to figure out what to do with it. What are the applications? How does it work? How might it work? How might I drive an ROI? So I think that as we um, further disrupt uh, the ecosystems out there, if you will, with things like artificial intelligence, um, I think the ROIs are going to be really hard to prove because it is really innovative. And innovation has a high rate of failure. It just does. Mm. So I think it's it's going to get harder is my prediction. But, you know, when you hit it, you might hit it really big and it could be truly disruptive for your company or yes, your industry. So it is higher risk. One more somewhat tactical question I would have, and beyond that, anything you'd like to add, love to have further discussion, but whether it's your own organization or what you see with your peers, if you had a list of the constituents where you know ROI in one form or fashion, whether clear and specific and quantified or a broad business case and a, and a reason to believe needs to be explained, who are the main constituents that need to be on that list so that you're proactively uh, making sure that what you believe is right is actually going to be the investment that's made? I think you have to have your CEO on board, first and mm-hmm. foremost, as well as your, of course, assuming that your CIO is on board, but your CIO, your CEO, and then your CFO um, have to be on board. If you're an operations type of business like we are, your chief operating officer uh, has to be on board um, as well, because if it involves their execution or affects the operations in any way, shape, or form, they have to be on board as well. But, you know, again, it depends on the, what you're trying to do. If it's more directly to the marketing group, uh, then I would say your CEO and your CFO and your CIO are the key. So it just depends on what you're trying to, to, to drive. But with these kinds of nebulous investments and things that are more risky in most cases, you have to have a culture that's willing to accept some of that. And that has to come from the top down. And, and what the about the timing or sequence of those buy-ins? We've got fiscal years where money is allocated and we know what our budget is and these are big dreams so they come up whenever they come up and they need to be seized when they do need to be seized. I guess one, is there a proper cadence that you think your peers should observe and two, is there a sequence of those four or five constituents you just mentioned that is logical? Well, I think most every company has their capital planning cycles, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that you have to be prudent with the company's money and respect those practices and make sure you're working towards those to help get people aligned and know that things can come up and maybe you have to put some money aside that is a maybe or a test project, although that's harder to do. But I really do think, especially when, you know, you're a publicly held company, you have to respect those practices and work with them because they are the good due diligence for the financial health of the company. So we do capital planning every single year and we have room, you know, we're, we our estimates aren't to the penny, right? We know that it's going to twist and turn. And so we've gotten better about understanding that and broadening our estimates a bit more to help take advantage of things that change or become opportunistic. And I think with the world changing so fast and being disruptive, especially in data, you have to Wonderful. do more of that now. Julie, than is there the anything past. else you think is relevant or salient to say here or shall we close uh, with those comments? 
I think the last area really to be said is the people. So this is an area that is very tight labor pool that is talented and that can be a good interface between big data and data in the business. And it's hard to find good people, but you got to have good people because data isn't good data without good people and good processes. And those are two really important areas that have to support it. So it is, I think, one of the hardest areas is to get good people in a high turnover space right now, um, as well as getting people into learn the business, that takes some time too. So um, as you go and approach any project, I think you have to look at the people, uh, most importantly, as you look at data, because it's a clear well, Julie, part not of only your I fundamentally agree with your point there. I'd add my own two cents that in my experience, data and what it can bring in terms of growth and opportunity in the company sometimes can be threatening as well. Some individuals can feel threatened by the information and even not understanding how their job will change can push it off or to the side. And yet I think good people embrace the opportunity and the creativity that's possible and the opportunity to uh, better serve customers through it. So I think another point why you have good people is they'll attract to this movement like a magnet rather than resist it in the opposite pole. Yeah, and people that can think about what can be versus what is and using data to help understand that and really are curious, uh, creative thinkers, but yet are very clear about making the data be the source of the truth and being clean and pure, but yet knowing how to use it in a way that can be considered innovative, creative, and being very curious about it. And that mindset is a harder one to to find. It's out there, but it definitely is, um, I think, evolving as well as we evolve people and train people in the data world today, I think that mindset is starting to evolve as well. But as a well, CMO, those are Julie, the kind of if you don't mind, let me continue on that thread just for a second, because I think one of the hallmarks I'm hoping to have with this podcast is to offer real solutions to our peer CMOs. And so my question back to you then is knowing it's tough. You've just said it, it's tough to find those people with that creativity, that intellectual curiosity, the embrace of what can be. How do you find those? Can you offer us a couple of tactics as to how you're you're doing better than others or or your your most successful techniques to find those folks? I'm not sure we're doing better than others, (laughs) to be honest. It's been hard for us. We actually have a bunch of new positions open this year, so we are excited to to be able to fill some in. And, you know, we worry, like, how do we do this, you know, differently? And one of the things we're trying to change up is, one, cast a wider net um, and not really look at the geography as a constraining factor anymore and really broaden our scope of, of people from anywhere in the U.S. Also, I think we're trying to look at characteristics and traits versus just experience because we think that might be more important on the go forward. So that's what we're trying to do to change it up. I'm pretty sure we have not solved it yet and not been great at it, but we're just trying to figure out how we can improve to continue to hire more people. And then we've relied on, and this is a great segue you know, to folks like your company, is trying to find and rely on great vendor partners to help us given the talent pools are tough and really find those folks out there that have the great talent in their companies that can help us. Well, wonderful. Julie, I want to thank you for being a part of this episode in the data-driven CMO, Pain and Progress. Really appreciate coming on and giving us some detail about how you have success with data in the face of these pains. And I know myself and your peers will appreciate some of the lessons learned here. So thanks again. Great. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay. Thank you, Julie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.